Hello and welcome back to another episode of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is episode 25 and this is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, City of Philadelphia. Today we have an amazing guest for you. We have Dr. Irina Scott and we'll be talking about her newly released book, Beyond Pasagola, The Rest of the Amazing Story which is the Calvin Parker abduction case which blew up worldwide. Uh, one of the best documented abduction cases throughout UFO history. So we'll be getting into that, her, her background into the UFO community and what she's been doing lately with this book and interviewing Calvin. So strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. All right, welcome to episode 25 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. Today we have our special guest, Dr. Irina Scott. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Very honored to have you on today. I'm a big fan of your new book that came out. I've been talking with Philip Mantle um, about your work and how much he uh, appreciates what you've been doing in this field. Um, he's been advertising your book greatly. Um, he's a great guy and a good publisher to have. He sure is. He's the best. <laughs> um, so I guess we could start from the beginning about um, how you got involved into the UFO field and what got you started. Um, well, what got me started was a long time ago with my own sightings, but um what really pulled me in was another part of the Pascagoula, of the uh, flap of which Pascagoula was a part. Okay. Um, I'm, I wrote the book Beyond Pascagoula for one reason, because I was interviewing people around Pascagoula and other places that had sightings at around that time. But long before that, something had started me. And that was a part of Pascagoula um, many years ago, actually, on the day of the Pascagoula abduction. But I didn't know it then. Um, I was in Missouri working on my Ph.D. and my mother was in Ohio. And um, she called me one night and said, did you hear that noise or that sound or something? And I joked around with her and she had always said if she has dementia we should tell her and so I told her that we were 600 miles away and I couldn't possibly hear anything she heard <clears throat> but she seemed to be kind of serious about it and later she said she called later and said there was this big UFO flap and people were it was just like a war zone people were staying in at night and keeping their kids in and uh, they were chasing cars and their people were seeing, you know, like um, there were all kinds of sightings and people were um, having things chase their car and everything else and seeing humanoids and everything wow. you think of. And um, I forgot about it because I was in Missouri and it wasn't going on there that I knew of. But years later, I moved back to Ohio. Uh, worked at Ohio State, and at that time they had a big newspaper room with all kinds of real live papers in it. And just on an impulse one day, I went in, decided to look for 
when my mother had heard that sound and see if I could find anything because she had also said there was a flap. And so I went in the newspaper room and I didn't know when it was, but I thought it was the middle of October in 73 as a guess. And so there were millions of papers and I thought, oh, I'll never find that. But I found it pretty fast. And that caused me to wonder what exactly the sound was because it didn't seem very well explained at all. And it was just sort of passed over. So I started trying to find out more about it. And then um, sometime later, I um, submitted a paper to a peer reviewed journal about it. And the, um, the, the state of Ohio seismologist contacted me and he was very interested in it and helped me find um, seismograph uh, stations and things like that. And so eventually I wound up publishing it in the, um, in a peer reviewed journal. But um, then later there were UFO groups in Ohio that I really didn't know about because I hadn't been into UFOs, but they contacted me about giving a talk about that because they heard about that. And so I called it the big bang and gave a talk. And that's what basically pulled me into ufology was <laughs> another part of the Pasigula case. But um, the sound was just about the same time as the Pasigula abduction, which is still strange and something to still think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I also seen that you were uh, you were a model with MUFON as well back in the day. Um, you were one of the uh, original board members. Is that right? Yeah, I was a board member um, uh, from in the 1990s. Okay, and then you were also a field investigator and an astronomy consultant um, for MUFON as well, right? Uh-huh, still am. Great. Wow, that's awesome. Um, how, how, how's your, how has it been? working with MUFON and, and in ufology? It's pretty interesting. And one thing that's great about them is their database. You can look things up and find sightings and that sort of thing. Um, the MUFON journal's good. And in general, I mean, it gets criticized a lot, but I think it's the best UFO group there is. I have to agree with you. <laughs> I enjoy the database as well. Uh, I've been doing, I, I investigate for Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. Um, I've had a great experience with MUFON. I think it's a great organization filled with great people that are passionate about the subject, like yourself. Um, and I think that they do a lot of good things for people. Um, it's great, in my opinion, as well. Um, so I also noticed that you, um, while you were, the, you were also the director of publications at one point, and you co-edited eight symposium proceedings. Uh-huh. That, um, and some of the interesting ones, too, like the 50th anniversary of MUFON, I think, and um, uh, the 2001, and a number of ones that were pretty interesting. <laughs> I found out a lot from, from doing the um, editing things, too, and reading all the papers. Okay. Um, so I guess we can go ahead and dive into 
the actual your newly released book, uh, which came out uh, when was that? The beginning of November, end of October. Yeah, it actually came out before that, and we didn't know it, but it's supposed to come out the first of October. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I have it on audiobook. I've been listening to it. I'm really enjoying it um, so far. Um, I think you did a great job with it. Um, but how did you get involved with writing this actual book uh, this time around? Well, um, uh, Calvin and Charles had reported their UFO sighting, and they got harassed quite a bit. And there were a lot of other sightings at that same time and in that same area and general time too. But a lot of people didn't say anything because <laughs> they had they were an example of how to get harassed and other people just closed up and didn't say anything. But today um, UFOs are better um, uh, considered more um, what you'd call it, uh, more respectable, more, I guess you'd call it. Right. And because there's been articles in Time and 60 Minutes. Absolutely, yeah. And the government even admitted that they don't know everything. Right. So, um, so due to this, more people are talking about it. And um, Philip was finding other witnesses. He's in England, and he has an English accent and everything. And so he wanted somebody from the United States to interview the some to interview some of the witnesses. And so that was me. And I interviewed a number of witnesses um, for actually the Pascal abduction and um, other things that were happening around that time in Pascal. So that had a lot to do with writing the book. And the rest of the book <laughs> had to do with me still finding um, information about the sound. Okay, so that sound that you were talking about is actually involved in the new book. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what what have you? I mean, so how how so have these two things, the Pasigula case and the sound, have any type of crossovers where they cut their their um they're together somehow i don't know i still don't know but i found out more about the sound when i started i was working with scientists and scientists are supposed to be debunkers and all that well the scientists i work with were quite interested in you know trying to figure out what was going on with the sound then later i published about the sound in the mufon journal and that's where i got debunked somebody wrote in and said, oh, this was due to the airplane, the SR-71, which is a big, um, that no longer flies, but it might still be the fastest airplane ever. And um, so he debunked me. And I kind of weakly debunked back because I didn't have a lot of information. I just said, well, the sound wasn't where the airplane was. But later, more recently, in more recent years, NASA has published information a lot more information on sonic booms and how high the airplane has to be and how loud the sound is according to you know what type of airplane and how fast it's going and where it is and that sort of thing and so also you can do a lot better literature searches 
And so I did a lot more um, uh, research on the sound. It was a very, very extensive sound. It might have been the most extensive in the record of human history, except for the Krakatoa volcanic explosion. It stretched from Iowa to the Atlantic coast, which is huge. And um, I could find newspaper articles right along as it went in increments uh, from Iowa to um, Maryland and get times and things like that. Plus it also registered on two seismographs. And so I could get a real close estimate of its actual speed and things like that. And so I wrote a lot about that and that its physics was, it just, its physics just didn't make much sense. And so it's still, uh, even with new information, it's still a mysterious sound. And, um, it seemed to happen the same time as the Pascagoula abduction, but also there were a lot of UFO sightings and events all across the country around that time too. Right. Now, what, what exactly did this sound sound like? Just a normal sonic boom or did it have other, other qualities? Well, they, all the newspapers always mentioned it was a sonic boom, but it didn't, um, because, you know, I guess that's what you'd call it if you heard something like that. But it didn't apparently sound quite like a sonic boom. And um, it was pretty impressive because it shattered windows across three states, which is quite a <laughs> big wow. area. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it, the closest time I had was like with the seismograph about um, three times the speed of sound. and First of all, it was explained as an airplane, but then later they explained, the scientists seemed to explain it as a meteor. Nobody saw a meteor, nobody saw an airplane or anything else. It was just a sound that went across the country. And um, so in general, they seemed to uh, decide it was a meteor. And probably an earth grazing meteor because it, nobody saw anything land but I could calculate its speed and things, and it didn't have a speed of a meteor at all. It might've even changed its speed. So it didn't seem to be a meteor, but I couldn't find anything else um, that matched it at all. So it's still pretty mysterious. Okay, so have you have you seen um, Linda Moulton Howe? Um, she does a lot of work with the the sounds that have been happening across the country. Um, it's been on, it's been on the uh, UFO news and and social media about these uh, big sounds that have been going on and, and no one can explain them. Um, so I guess it would be right down the line with that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, this was a pretty impressive one. Though. <laughs> it was big. Right, this was bigger, right? Yeah, I, I haven't heard about it, so it's actually really interesting to me. Um, so when exactly did this boom happen again? It was um, October the 11th, 1973, and adjusted for Eastern Standard Time, it started about 8.20 and lasted until just before 9 um, as it crossed the country. Oh, so it actually lasted quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, it was about three times the speed of sound, but it takes a while to get from... 
uh, Iowa to the coast. Wow, that's that's interesting. Um, I'll definitely have to look into that because I had no idea about that. And that makes it pretty odd that it is around the same time as the Pasigula Calvin Parker abduction. Um, uh -huh. So I could see how you can compare those two. Um, so I guess with, with, you've interviewed Calvin, obviously, right, for this book? No, I interviewed his wife. Okay. Um, and how was that? How was, how was talking with his wife? How was getting the information? Um, how did it go? She's really interesting to talk to, and she was with him all through it. Um, when the abduction happened, they were engaged. And then <laughs> I guess, you know, maybe some people were nervous about him getting married, but they went ahead with the marriage. And she's been with him, you know, his whole life since before the abduction. And she said it, um, it caused him, you know, a lot of trouble. He didn't. Um, some people want to be famous and, you know, have everybody recognize him. Well, he didn't. He just wanted a normal life and, you know kids and grandkids and everything and so he kind of hid his whole life from this and he's you know just in the recent years coming out and talking about it yeah i know um and a lot of <clears throat> i mean the case is absolutely it's phenomenal um the description of the beings that he's seen um him and his partner seeing his co-worker um, the way they were taken into the ship, it wasn't really like it was hostile. Um, they kind of walked them, hovered up, floated up into the craft, um, you know, and did what they did and then returned them. And the best part of it all is when they were at the police station reporting it, um, they were called on recording, correct, under the police station. And they heard them talking back and forth and kind of confirmed that these guys weren't lying, right? Yeah. Um, Charlie wanted to report it. and um, Calvin didn't. And you know, Charlie was older and he'd been in the army and things and he'd been exposed to really hazardous conditions. Whereas um, Calvin was real young and Calvin didn't want to say anything about it, but Charlie decided he should report it. And so he had called the um, uh, the newspaper first of all, and they were closed and he called the Kessler Air Force Base and they said they didn't have anything to do with the UFOs. And so then he called the sheriff's department. And you can imagine what that would be like to call the sheriff's department and said, well, we were just abducted by a UFO. Well, the police <laughs> sent out things. I talked to several policemen. And, you know, that they picked up a couple of drunks that said they were reported that they'd been abducted and stuff. And so, but the... Police didn't take him his call seriously. I mean, he called and said, "We want to. You won't believe this, but we've been abducted." And the person that took the call did kind of believe him because he could hear Calvin crying and pleading not to say anything about it in the background. And so they brought him in and interviewed him separately, and then put him together and interviewed him. And then the men left the room, and that's when they had the hidden tape recorder that they didn't know about. And they figured, the police figured, you know, that they'd just catch them in a hoax with that because as soon as the people left the room, they'd laugh and say, well, you know, we really put one over. Well, that wasn't what happened. They were both absolutely terrified. Kelvin was saying he thought he died and they were just overwrought totally, you know, 
wiped out. And so then the police believed them. And that did a, you know, did a whole lot of good because they sincerely thought that happened to them. So I'm assuming this made uh, the newspapers um, in the town and, and the, the locals, right? It made it all over the world. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know it eventually did, but I'm guessing that it got out pretty quick, right? Yeah. I think it was due to the flap and maybe due to the sound, too, because the sound was the same time and it was making the newspapers across the country at the same time as the abduction did. Right. And so um, they... It, I think it got over the world really fast, and it was a really good case because there were two of them, and because of the tape, and because they had reported it immediately. Yeah, I think that was like one of the big, big pieces of the case, and got a lot of people believing they weren't telling a lie when that recording came out and everybody heard it. Um, so that did go public uh, after that, correct? Yeah, and then um, some of the top researchers like Dr. Heineck and Dr. Hardy that were professors came and talked to them and thought they were sincere too. And they talked to a number of doctors and other things. And um, they were both overwrought. And Calvin was just practically having a nervous breakdown right in front of everybody. And so they believed him. So what was uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek's um, opinion on what happened? He believed everything that, that occurred? Well, he he didn't, I mean, being a scientist, he didn't understand U, UFOs, and I think he still never did. But he believed them. He didn't think they were, you know, hoaxing or lying or anything. He thought they were sincere, honest people. Right. And they were sincere people, correct? They weren't someone that would come up with a lie. They weren't known like that in the, in locally, correct? No, they both had jobs and, you know, were regular people. They weren't, you know, UFO nuts or anything like that. They were just sheepyard workers. It was Calvin's first day at work, actually, for this <laughs> new job. And, you know, just regular people. I think uh, Charlie was a supervisor or something. And they didn't have any prior interest in UFOs or anything. They just went fishing, and this is what happened to them. I can imagine that happening, especially on your first day of work for Calvin, right? <laughs> imagine that. Oh, <laughs> really went through a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I, and he still is, right? I mean, people still are, are, you know, talking about it and contacting and reaching out to him. And some people are still messing with him for talking. And right. I mean, he's been harassed, I'm assuming, by the government, maybe. And other people saying that he shouldn't be sharing a story. Yeah, well, I talked. You know, I interviewed a number of people and they talked about the way they were harassed and the people said they were drunk and things like that, which, you know, um, was just harassment. Yeah, it's a shame when you're coming forward with something like that and you have to worry about people harassing you, you know, when you're telling the truth. And you yeah. didn't, you'd, especially when you didn't ask for something like this to happen to you, you know, um, uh -huh. and then they have to deal with that. It's a shame. Um, Calvin didn't talk about it for the next 50 years or so. And finally he decided to talk about it, which is good. Wow. Help. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, take our break here. And then when we come back, we'll get into some of the details about, um, you know, the interviews that you had with Calvin's wife and some of the other details in the book. Um, so we'll take our break here, everyone. And when we come back, we'll get into that. So, 
Don't go too far. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is your host, Jesse Peake from UFO Encounters Worldwide. I'm here today to let everybody know about a new project that I started to help research the UFO phenomenon. It's called Project Bat Tech 404. It stands for Battery Technology, and 404 is an error code that you usually get with, tech, with technology or a cell phone, GPS, or any kind of tablet that you hold in your hand. So it's Project Bat Tech 404, and what we're investigating is electrical malfunctions associated with UFO sightings or encounters. You can report your sighting or encounter at battech404researchmembers at gmail.com today, and one of our team members will get in contact with you and investigate your case. You can also go and check out our website today, which is Project battech404.wordpress.com Again, that's projectbattech404.wordpress.com You can go on there and see all of our goals of the entire project, what we plan to achieve, and all of our trained team members that are included in this research project. Again, it's Project Bat Tech 404, and we are researching electrical malfunctions associated with UFO sightings or encounters. Check out the website today. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak at UFO Encounters Worldwide at gmail.com today. Hey everyone, it's Jesse Peak, your host from UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you guys ever had a UFO sighting? Go to MUFON.com where you can report your UFO sighting and a field investigator will get in contact with you and investigate your sighting absolutely free. I'm a field investigator from MUFON in Pennsylvania. I do it all the time. It's a great, great organization to report your sighting and actually get real feedback. Check it out at MUFON.com today. Hey, did you know UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast? That's right. You can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com today and check out all of the cool content we have on the UFO phenomenon. You can get all of the content and information for each episode on the website. Plus, you can follow my travels and see some of my work. There's even new weekly updates on the UFO phenomenon with megalithic structures and different places from around the world with UFO sightings. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Check it out today. All right, welcome back to the second half of UFO Encounters Worldwide. We're here today with Dr. Irina Scott talking about her new book about the Pasagola case um, and the Calvin Parker abduction. Right before the break, we were just discussing about how, how Calvin and uh, went to the police station and how he was dealing with some of the stuff about coming forward and uh, kind of being ridiculed in a way. Um, 
And going off of that, I mean, um, do you know of any times maybe he was, you know, messed with by the government at all? Well, um, they had a number of people um, interview him at uh, talking about the government, though. The Pascagoula area made the news twice in a month's time, and one was the abduction, but also there was a um, USO, an underwater submarine uh, object, uh, and um, that made the news and was taken seriously. And about the same time and place as the abduction. Okay. So did any anybody ever come for from the government to Calvin or or his his coworker and and ask them about what happened besides the investigators? I mean, like maybe like Men in Black or anything like that. I don't remember of anything like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just figured I'd ask that because I know I've I've heard many times where people men in black show up or they get harassed by, you know, secret people in the government. Uh, I was just wondering if that ever happened to them during this encounter. I don't know because it made the news. It made news headlines just all over the world. Right. And I think um, maybe when people get harassed, it's not something that's real big in the news like that. I'm not sure. Right. But right. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, guess what, what are some of the new details that are in, in beyond Pasagula, um, that we haven't really heard about? Is there anything specific that you wanted to talk about that's in this book compared to the other ones? Yeah. Um, I've interviewed a number of people and a number of people had sightings the same time he did. Um, and one couple was. Well, that night, the sheriff said that there were about 50 reports of UFOs in that area and that were official and then more that they didn't even record. So there were a whole lot of UFO sightings taking place at the same time as the abduction. And so that sort of helps, too, because it shows that other people saw th things. But there might have been actual almost witnesses to the abduction. Um, and that, that's something new. For example, there was a Bear, Bra uh, Blair family. And we found out about that because um, Calvin had given a talk at the library in Pasagula, and it was on YouTube. And a woman wrote and said, yeah, that her parents were there and uh, at the time of the abduction. And so Philip contacted them. And I called, I called the couple and talked to the man and the woman. And um, Maria Blair said that they were parked on the other side of the Pascagoula from where Calvin and Charlie were when they were abducted at the same time. And um, that was their daughter that had written to the um, YouTube. And um, she said that they were uh, by a pier and that her husband and his supervisor were going to go out on a boat and do some work, but the supervisor was late. And so they were just sitting there in their car waiting. So um, 
um, he began to see this object flying around, up around, you know, over the river. And she said it was just kind of like random. It would go up and down, back and forth and across. And she said she thought the pilot was lost or the pilot was looking for something. And she remarked that this just wasn't a normal way to fly, that airplanes go someplace. They don't just randomly move around. Right. And so, um, and this was at the same time, you know, as they were being abducted. Well, so um, her husband decided to take his clothes to the boat and uh, took his clothes around nine o'clock. And she followed him down. And she said, as she was walking down the pier, this thing that looked just like a person came out of the water right beside her. And she seemed to be very, very, very emotional about it. And then she said they went on the boat. And then she said they came, she came back about 12 and was so scared she ran back to her car. And it seemed pretty funny because um, it seemed like there was a missing time or something there. And so I talked to her several times because she was just so emotional about this thing that came out of the water. And I asked her if it was a fish, and she said no, and it wasn't a dolphin or anything. It looked just like a person. But it came out of the water, and then it went back down, and it didn't come back for air or anything. And so um, her husband, when I talked to him, he just said something about a big splash and a blimp. And she said that he was a debunker, and he thought nothing happened. He didn't believe in UFOs and told her to keep her mouth shut and everything like that. Well, unfortunately, he became very ill, and he died last year. And before he died, he told her that they had been abducted, but that he hadn't wanted to talk about it because, you know, he was a man, he was working, and you can get really have trouble with your work and things, with right. that sort of thing. Right. He didn't talk about it, but he told her they'd been abducted and that he had remembered being on in the object um, that was the thing she saw um, and that these beings or whatever the things were got him and took him in and took them both in apparently <clears throat> but he <clears throat> soon after that happened he was so ill he was put on a ventilator and you can't talk on a ventilator but he did tell both her and Philip Mantle on the phone about that they had both been abducted but that he hadn't wanted to talk about it so um and he talked about seeing these beings or things uh, swim back across the river and she said then that he said then the object took off afterwards and they thought that this might have been the same object that abducted uh, Calvin and Charlie so that it's possible that not only was there another possible witness but the same object might have gotten two groups of people which would be a very first you know, First time anything like that was reported in UFOs. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that'd be a first time for sure. Um, never heard anything like that before, especially the same craft ducking two different sets of people. Yeah, I mean, that was an original <laughs> thing. And um, there were two witnesses, you know, with them too, and they told their kids about it years ago, but they hadn't talked about it. And her husband hadn't talked about it at all until then but this was kind of like calvin because i've now interviewed the wives of 
two men that um, might have been abducted at the same time and that didn't talk about it for 50 or so years and finally decided to. Um, and there were other people that also had some experiences on that same time too. Um, people would criticize Calvin by saying, well, why didn't the workers on the river and people on the bridge and everything like that see anything such as the crane uh, operators? Well, there was a picture of a crane in Calvin's book and we talked to the person that was operating a crane then and he did see something. Um, he was in his crane uh, and there was something wrong with the crane, but he looked across the river and he saw this object that was kind of blue and it was sort of like it was transparent. It was almost like he could see through it. And he wondered what on earth that was. That's the strangest thing he saw. And then his supervisor said to, you know, pull some levers and stuff because the crane was broken. And afterwards, um, he looked back and he didn't see it. But that he thought that that was the same night because the next day he heard about the abduction. And so there was possible another witness. And then there were several other people who had some really strange things happen to them at about the same time. Um, I talked to this one man who was in Dolphin Island, which is an island right off the mouth of the Pascagoula River. And he had these cousins that um, had gone someplace doing something in a dune buggy, I forget what. And they, on their way back, they got stuck and they were trying to dig the thing out. They were using their hands and everything else trying to dig it out and they couldn't get it out. And so this thing came over them and shone a bright light on them. That was sort of like what um, Calvin reported that first of all, this thing kind of landed and they saw a bright light inside. The same thing for the Blair family. Right. Well, the same thing happened here. This thing was over them and shone this real bright light over them. And it was so bright that um, they could see colors in the grains of sand. Well, they were terrified. And um, they were so terrified that <laughs> they got the dune buggy out real fast. And they said they thought they lifted it out, um, which, you know, yeah, I suppose you get adrenaline if you're really terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, they got it out fast and got home and told this man about what happened and he t he said he you know joked with him and thought it didn't happen and then the next day um the newspapers published about the abduction and so <laughs> i guess he believed him after that and they you know it was like a close call for them wow that's crazy so there's a lot of other cases that happened around this time i didn't realize this well there were more and um a lot of UFO cases are just somebody a long ways away sees a, a light and says, oh, this might be a UFO. Well, a number of these ones were really close encounters, really scary things. And there were another group of people that were that same night um, on the Highway 90 going to New Orleans. One of the people was kind of famous, but he's dead now. Um, but they were driving along. And they said that this thing came over them and this little thing came down from it and it seemed to be right in front of their windshield. 
and like it was taking pictures of them or something. And they all seemed to go into some state of shock or something, like they were paralyzed and they were driving along with this thing in front of them. And then it flew away. And then they just, um, sort of like they were coming out of a trance or something. And instead of going to where they were going, they turned around and came back. And they didn't um, go back for about a month later. And they seemed kind of confused. And that, and then the next day they heard about the abduction. And so there were a number of really odd things that happened that same night. Yeah, I would have to say that they're somehow related. I mean, those are, they're not, like you said, they're not just the regular sighting cases. These are cases that are, you know, of extreme importance. The ones that we try to look for when we're investigating with MUFON. Um, these are the top cases that you try to get. Um, and that's a lot to happen within the same time period as Calvin and um, his coworker. So that's, yeah. that's, that's great information that you found. Great investigating. I mean, it's amazing. Well, um, you, you'd think people wouldn't remember that long ago, but um, the, the abduction hit the newspapers really soon. And so people, they didn't just forget it because they had something, if they remembered, if they wanted to find a date, they just contacted a newspaper or something, they could find it. So they were able to, you know, you'd remember something like that anyway, but they also knew what the date was too. Right. So these were multiple different abduction cases. These were actual close encounters with entities being seen face to face. Um, I wonder why we didn't hear really too much about the other ones. And we only got, I guess, Calvin's was like the big one that overshadowed everything. So we really didn't hear too much about the other ones um, because this is all new information to me. This is I think it's great. Um so I guess Calvin's kind of overtook the other one, so we really didn't get that information. Is that, is that how it kind of worked? No, I think the way it worked was is that Calvin and Charlie got harassed so much that everybody else just shut up and didn't say anything until now they're crawling out of the woodwork because um, UFOs are more respectable now. Right, okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, <clears throat> I mean... I read, I'm listening to the book because I have the audio book um, and, and Philip was on a couple weeks ago on here as well. Um, he's a great guy and, and uh, he spoke very highly of you in your book. And I've had a couple other people that have published through Philip um, and he's talked very highly of you um, and your background's like really extensive. You got a lot of, you've written other books in the field, correct? Yes. And he published them. He's a fantastic publisher and really nice person. Yeah, he's great. Um, he he was so, so nice to come on to my show and the same show and and talk about uh, his experience with the alien autopsy and and uh, he was talking about your book coming out. Um, he really advertised it um, all over. Um, did a great job of it. So I was as soon as I seen it and he talked about yeah, I wanted to have you on. Um, and then once I seen your background in the UFO field, it was like wow, this is amazing um and i'm happy to have you on today it was it's, it's really great um i also noticed that you had like a background uh you worked for the defense intelligence agency correct research and satellite photography uh-huh what, what what exactly was that uh about well when i started out i wanted to go into astronomy and i majored in in college but i couldn't um 
get a job because it was male only. And I'd go in and apply and they'd say, oh, no, you're not allowed to apply and so on. And so I got nowhere there. But I was still interested in astronomy. So I, um, the closest I could get was cartography mapping. And they were mapping, you know, like the moon and things at that time. And so I got into cartography. But I got this real high security clearance. And instead of uh, the moon, I was working on places like um, in Russia and things on Earth. And um, I transferred to the DIA and for a while worked in a section called the Air Order of Battle. And that was where you use satellite photography. And um, they kept a record of anything military type of flying uh, machine all over the world, which they used satellite photography to um, study. And so um, they have photographs of <laughs> all the military um, installations and in every military plane they could possibly get. And today, um, those videos and things that are in the news are from the DIA. And at that time, I thought they knew more about UFOs than anybody. You know, back then, um, the government was saying, oh, there's no such thing. But I thought back then that they knew something about it. But you didn't go around talking about it back then. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was working not on at all. <laughs> and, um, in aircraft identification. Okay. So when you were working in this field, did you ever hear anything about any type of UFO information or anything at all? Yeah, I had mentioned uh, once at work that I'd read about UFOs or something. And my supervisors said that um, they had, uh, uh, it was real classified work. It was real high security classification, some of the top of the government. And they said that on their, um, that they had, that they had reported a UFO on the, uh, their photography. And they showed it to me, and I saw it, and I could even get it in stereo from two uh, different pictures. And um, they reported that to their supervisors, and their supervisors told them, no, they weren't seeing a UFO. It was a spot on the film. And that was a really <laughs> ridiculous thing to say because it was on two films, and you could see details. So, But anyway, that's what they said. And they insisted, and I guess my supervisors had argued with them. One of my supervisors, I think, was a GS-14 or something like that, pretty high. And apparently, um, they were pretty surprised that they got such a stupid answer from their supervisors. And that made me think that somebody up there higher knows something about UFOs that they're covering up, you know, back then. Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I believe that, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty neat that you got to have that firsthand. And that was way before you got into the UFO field or were you already into it before that? That was before. Okay. So you've I actually didn't... been around this your whole life then <laughs> in a way. <laughs> oh, that's pretty neat. Um, is there anything else that, that you were able to find out through working with them? Well, I don't, I, you know, no longer work there, but um, I think they have 
good photography and probably now videos taken from satellites of everything flying over <laughs> the earth. <laughs> yep. And so I imagine they have um, pictures of UFOs and videos of that sort of thing. It would be my guess that are that are probably fairly good. Right. So you, you're probably saying that they they definitely have pictures that that can actually that are more detailed than what they have released so far, and they actually have more information than what they're real, they're saying. Well, I don't know definitely, but I would conjecture that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's my opinion as well. I just wanted to make sure I was understanding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think they have uh, more information than what they're sharing, of course. Um, you know, and then especially after the June 25th release of the, the preliminary assessment where they admitted that these things are real, um, they obviously have investigated this farther than what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, they would have to because um, it, you know, it could be something in the tax or it could be something that, um, you know, confuses airplanes or <laughs> missiles fly away or things like that. Yeah. So start a war even. Yeah. So I'm track of them yeah i'm doing a um i'm heading a project right now it's called project bat tech 404 where we're investigating electrical malfunctions associated with ufo sightings and we see that all the time in the reports that we're documenting um you know uh, uh robert salas just came out about the nuclear weapon bases being affected by ufos um and we actually just got a couple cases recently about um russian missile bases and nuclear bases being affected and being turned on by ufos um and a couple different times where radar has been messed with and the ufo has actually created the plane and itself to disappear off of radar um so there's a lot of different crazy stuff that could be happening you know what i mean like that up in the sky with this situation so it's pretty crazy stuff you know yeah there was radar jamming that took place in Pascagoula a few days later that was reported by a radar person but also i was talking about the underwater submarine thing well one reason that was interesting was because the navy took a very serious look at it an investigation about these people that saw this underwater thing um and at that time the um uh, there was not only um at the time of the flap there not only was um uh, the Watergate thing and Nixon and Spiro Agnew and everything. But there was also the possibility of nuclear war. And uh, there had been a DEFCON alert that was classified nobody knew about until many years later, where there was a strong possibility of nuclear war starting. And that was probably one reason they took an interest in the uh, submarine sighting. But... Um, there was such a this was considered by a lot of people the biggest flack that ever happened and it was strange that it took place right at the same you know in the same time frame as the, this possible um nuclear war yeah that's 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 pretty crazy um to think that these things can even mess with our our technology the way they do and you know just the way they can control things it, that's a scary situation too you know but um, there's a lot of different similarities that you found that uh, I you've definitely taught me a lot today. I've learned a lot throughout hearing about all this. This is all new information to me, all the stuff that you uh, recently investigated and put out in this book. So I'm happy that you did that um, and documented all this. This will be a great help, and I think people will really enjoy this. 
Well, I hope they do because I put a lot of work in it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have. It sounds like you have. Um, it's great. Um, and uh, I wanted to just let you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find your book at um, and where they can find your information, your website, um, you know, how they can follow you. Okay. My latest book is Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. And it's on Amazon.com. And my website is irinascott.com. And um, I have all my books on my website. And you just click on the website and it goes right over to Amazon.com. Or look at uh, Beyond Pascagoula. I don't think any other book has that name. Nope. So it's pretty easy to find. Okay, so I'll make sure you said it's irinascott.com, correct? Mm-hmm. I'll make sure I put that in the um, the episode uh, bio and everything. I have your, all your information in there, so I'll make sure I put it in there so people can find you and uh, follow your website and all that. So I want to thank you for coming on today. It was a great time. I learned a lot of new stuff, which is great, um, and I hope the audience did as well. So thank you. I appreciate you coming on today, Dr. Irina Scott. Well, thank you very much. I'm sure glad. (laughs) Good, good. Maybe we can do this again in the future and we can talk about some of your other work. That would be nice. I hope so. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on today. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode 25 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Uh, We'll be back again next week with author and MUFON State Director Trey Hudson. So um, don't go too far. We'll be back next week. And remember to always keep your eyes in the sky. We'll talk about learning some new information about a case that's been out for years, decades, I mean. Um, Dr. Irina Scott really did some new investigating into this case, the Pasigula case with Calvin Parker. Um, Tons of new information. I did not know about the crazy flap that was happening at that time, um, especially with multiple different um, possible abductions, um, close encounters with beings that people were seeing, all this around the same time. Um, pretty crazy. So you could definitely go check out her book. It's called Beyond Pasagula. Um, and definitely go over to her website, irinascott.com, for more information on everything that she's working on. And make sure you tune in next week. Our guest will be author and MUFON State Director Trey Hudson. Um, he's got some good stuff that he's been working on. Uh, so I'm ha- I guarantee you guys will enjoy that. Uh, so tune in next week. And remember, always keep your eyes in the sky. Oh, my God.